Well, g'day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt and you're watching the ministry that has been prepared for Sunday the 9th of June 2023. As we begin, hear these words of scripture from Psalm 27. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Well, shepherding is a bit of a theme for us today as we keep going in the book of Acts. But before we come to God's word, let's start in a time of praise. Show me the right chance. 
Well, as we come to the ministry of God's word, let me pray our collect prayer for the day. Lord God, guider and protector of your people, we ask that you would grant us an unfailing respect for your name and keep us always in your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin with Psalm 98. Uh, and then our two main kind of passages from Acts are Acts 19, 1 through to 20, and then Acts 20, 17 through to 31. Or you might like to read the whole section of that if you have time, which is 18, 23 through to the end of chapter 20. 18, 23 through to the end of chapter 20. Uh, please do pause the video and read uh, some of Acts now for yourself, and then we'll come to think about it together in a moment. Well, watching the second uh, State of Origin match a few weeks ago with my wife, watching the end of that match, we were quickly reminded uh, that there are so many examples of poor models that we don't want our boys to imitate. Uh, being sent off the field for a headbutt is one thing, but then running and cheering, jumping like you're a hero, hero and being clapped off the field, that's another thing. It's also another thing when that same player is then a week later suspended for, for giving this vulgar spray towards one of the refs. Uh, this player may have all the skills and athleticism that I want our boys to have for themselves, but I'm actually glad they weren't watching because overall this person wasn't a good model to follow. Uh, and I think we all want good models in life, good models for ourselves, good models for others, especially if we have children, right? But... No matter where we look, there are always examples of poor or deficient models of people that we shouldn't follow. That's true in the sporting world, that's true as parents, true in business, and even true in church leadership and ministry. Uh, no doubt uh, we all know this, even if it's simply by, by watching the news. And on that last one, it's worth asking the question, then what does a good model of Christian ministry look like? Well, that is what Acts raises for us today and deals with. Now, last week we had an overview of Paul's second missionary journey. And I think the really clear takeaway point there was that Jesus is never out of his depth. He uses the glad responses as the gospel goes out, as well as the bad responses to it, to keep building his kingdom and transforming people. And at the end of that second missionary journey, uh, he stopped at Ephesus, Paul did, on the way home. And he promised, he promised them at that church, rather at the temple, the synagogue, he promised that he'd be back. Now today, as we look at Paul's third missionary journey, uh, most, of the most of the attention is directed towards the city of Ephesus and what's going on there. And this section lands with Paul passing on a pattern of Christian ministry for the leaders there to follow. And I want to make it really clear from the start, that is where we're headed today. Uh, we'll meander around a little bit, but we're going to land looking at Paul's good model of ministry that he wants to pass on. And this is good for us to reflect on as well. Uh, not only because that church leadership affects you because you're watching or you're in a church, but also because the leadership of our church is more than just the ministry team. Right? There are actually lots of people who have kind of different shepherding roles or elder type roles here at church. Now, we're going to jump backwards and forwards a little bit, 
but we're going to begin with Paul's ministry at Ephesus. And uh, if the map comes up, if you're watching, you can see it there. Uh, the city itself of Ephesus, it was a pretty uh, interesting place to say the least. Ephesus was kind of the, the capital city of that part of the Roman Empire. And it was like a, a kind of collecting place for all kinds of superstition and dark arts. Uh, and it was the center for a thriving cult of fertility worship uh, directed towards the sexualized pagan god Artemis. Right? That's what this city and this area is known for. And so the question is then, how does Paul begin his ministry when he goes? Well, his gospel assault on this city of darkness, if we want to you know, use language like that, it begins by following the ordinary pattern that he's already established, that he follows. He starts in verse 8, chapter 19, by going to the Jewish synagogue. Surprise, surprise. And he teaches them there until verse 9. The opposition becomes untenable, and so he goes out and rents another space to use and speak from. But this little report on Paul's ministry in Ephesus uh, in verses 8 to 12, it shows us kind of four key elements of things that, that are going on there. Verse 8, Paul was bold. He didn't hold back. Verse 8 again, he always contended for the kingdom of God. The gospel is front and center with Jesus as the centerpiece of that. Verse 10, his teaching is based on God's word, which shouldn't be surprising because this is God's ministry and not his. And then verse 11, uh, similar to what we saw in the earlier chapters of Acts, God affirms this, this early gospel, gospel proclamation with miracles, which are then also being recorded for our benefit as well. And it becomes clear a little bit later on from all this ministry, uh, like places in verse 19, it becomes clear that while there's no small amount of opposition, Jesus is using Paul's preaching of the gospel to win people for his kingdom. But uh, Luke, the author, uh, has this brief report of Ephesus ministry sandwiched between four other little stories of people who are also in Ephesus. And one of the things that they all have in common, I think, is that they all have a deficiency. And there's Apollos, there's the 12 disciples of John, the seven sons of Sceva, and the city worshippers of Artemis. If you've got an outline handy, you can see where they, they fall. Now, for each of these groups, the only cure to their deficiency is the gospel that Paul himself is proclaiming. And while for the first two groups, the gospel does fix their deficiency, uh, the latter two groups are left for us as an example. Now, we haven't really got time to explore each in detail, but let me give you the summary of them. Now, the first is Apollos, who we meet at the end of chapter 18. Uh, he was a Jew, but he was also keen to preach about Jesus as the fulfillment of God's kingdom. But he didn't quite have the whole picture uh, Luke doesn't tell us uh, what the gap in his knowledge was, but he does tell us in chapter 26 of verse, um, sorry, verse 26 of chapter 18, that the Christian couple there, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they helped fill in his deficiency of knowledge. And the outcome, verses 27 and 28, is that he was a great encouragement for the believers wherever he went. Now, the next people are the 12 disciples of John the Baptist, who Paul encounters here in Ephesus at the start of chapter 19. And like Apollos before them, Luke tells us in verse 3, 
that they only knew of John's baptism. And so they were still waiting for the Messiah. Now, unlike Apollos, though, in that same verse, we find that they don't know anything about Jesus. And these, these 12, they're deficient because they're just ignorant. And so Paul shares the gospel with them. They come to faith, they're baptized, and their ability to speak in tongues and prophesy shows that they too indeed now have God's spirit working in them. Well, up next in the line of the deficient people are the seven sons of Sceva, right in verses 13 to 16. And Luke shows us that they are deficient because they want the benefits of Jesus' victory over the spiritual realm, but without having a true personal relationship with him themselves. And so on the occasion in verses 15 and 16, the demon they try and drive out in Jesus' name, he isn't fooled, and these men end up copying a hiding from this demon-possessed guy. Now, the final group of deficient people are the city's worshippers of Artemis. Verses uh, 23 to the end of the chapter there. Now, these guys, they don't like Paul. They don't like what he's preaching because it impacts them. And so a guy called Demetrius gets up and he leads the city in an uproar. In verse 26, he tells the people that Paul is leading many astray by saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Do you see the irony there? They're saying that he's leading people astray by claiming that man-made gods aren't in fact gods. Oh, big shock. Anyway, their opposition is both economically and theologically driven. Because verse 27, uh, to denounce idol worship, it's bad for business if, you're, if your city is full of metal workers. Uh, and because to denounce idol worship, well, the fertility goddess herself will be robbed of her own divine majesty. Now, you might ask, why am I labelling them as deficient still? Well, because they claim to worship a god. But without knowledge of Jesus, they are totally in the dark regarding the one true and living God. And it's true for a lot of people. You can be as sincere or as perhaps thought through as you like about what you believe, but that doesn't make you right. Any attempt to know God without Jesus is deficient. Any attempt to know God that rejects Jesus is pure demonic. And can you see how in each of these four cases surrounding gospel ministry that's going on in Ephesus, can you see how the gospel of Jesus both shows the deficiencies that these people have and is also the only cure for it? But I want to back us up a little bit now. Because there's something in verses 17 to 20 that the author Luke doesn't want us to miss. Now this happens after those seven sons of Sceva are exposed for trying to use the name of Jesus. Read on with me if you've got it there from verse 17. Luke tells us, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Then verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
Right, so in the middle of these stories of woeful deficiency, we see that Jesus is still using them to grow his kingdom. Because in this case, the name of Jesus is being lifted high and glorified. Believers are growing as disciples, confessing and giving up things that are contrary to living with Jesus as Lord. And in contrast to the small fortune of, of magic scrolls which are being abandoned and burnt, verse 19, the word of God is spreading and growing. Now, in case you, in case you haven't been here, or in case you haven't been watching along, in case you've missed it, this is one of the central themes in the book of Acts. God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus, is unstoppable. And for us, as we reflect on the way that these believers responded to the conviction that Jesus needs to be Lord in their lives, I wonder what things that we would perhaps burn metaphorically or even maybe physically, if this same spirit of conviction were to go through our church. If we were to truly hold Jesus as Lord, what would be the things that we would immediately give up? What would be the things that we would come to God openly and confess? Because if Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, that means that he is Lord of our lives and there'll be no part of our lives that is off limits to him. See, the Christian life is a transformed life. Not transformed so that we can be saved, but transformed because by trusting him, God has already forgiven us. He's already given us new life in Jesus. Well, after his three years spent in Ephesus, uh, Paul finally moves on and he goes back to Europe where he was on his second missionary journey. Uh, And the first six verses of chapter 20 tell us about the Christian communities that he went and visited and encouraged along the way. Uh, And he was there for a few months, before coming back and stopping off at a place called Troas. And his stopover at Troas, it's a pretty funny story, unless, of course, you're a young man by the name of Eutychus. Because, get this right, uh, they were there together, uh, up in a third-story room, listening to Paul preach until midnight, right? Aren't you glad that we only go for 25 minutes here? He's gone till midnight already. But anyway, uh, Paul preaches so long that, verse 9... Uh, This young guy, Eutychus, who's sitting by the windowsill, he dozes off, falls asleep, falls out the window, hits the ground, and he dies. And it's all because Paul preached so long that he put him to sleep. In fact, Matthias Media uh, put out this book a number of years ago called Saving Eutychus. How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. Now, you might be reading, you might be listening thinking, gee, I I wish Matt would read that book. Uh, Or perhaps maybe you're not thinking that because you've already fallen asleep. And if that's the case, wake up because I want you to see what happens next. Uh, In verse 10, Paul goes downstairs, throws himself on the dead man and says to the people, don't worry, he's alive. And what do you think Paul does after that? Does Does he tend? Does he bring him a meal? No, no, no. Verse 11, they all go back upstairs and Paul keeps on preaching until morning. Right? Do you think anyone in that room is going to fall asleep after that? Well, unless you're that guy, Eutychus, that's a little bit of a funny story. But aside from that comical moment, other details in this incident actually have echoes of Jesus' own ministry. Right? Bringing this young person back from the dead. Meeting in an upper room. 
Paul breaking bread with them there, teaching them up there. And then a bit later on, verses 22 and 25 of the same chapter, Paul says he's determined to go to Jerusalem, knowing that he's only going to suffer hardship there, knowing that he'll never see these his friends again. And I think Luke here is is giving us this little illusion to see the echoes of Jesus in Paul's own ministry here. And while we're on Paul's ministry, uh, this is where the rest of this chapter uh, will will land us. Uh, On his way back to Jerusalem, the end of verse 15, Paul ends up at a place called Miletus, uh, which is near Ephesus. And in verse 17, Paul uh, Paul sends for the elders of the church there of Ephesus. And this is where he delivers them his farewell speech, where he reminds the elders of Ephesus the the main features of his three-year ministry with them. And in case you forgot, this is where I said we're going to land today. We're going to, this is where we're heading. Uh, what comes next is the model of Christian ministry that Paul passes on to them. And the reason that he reviews his ministry among them is so that they can imitate it. His ministry was to be their model as it is to be the model of any genuine Christian ministry today as well. Now, to keep it simple for us as we fly over, I want to suggest that there are four key aspects to this ministry model Paul is leading. Now, firstly, there's an unshakable commitment to God and a deep love for his people. Verse 19, Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. Verse 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. At the end of verse 31, he says, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, commitment to different people means different things. But for Paul, commitment was not subject to a better offer. He knew that by serving people, he was serving God. And for him, a longing for their growth in Christ is something that weighed heavily on his heart. And seeing people not always choose to submit to Christ, seeing people not always choose for faithfulness to the gospel, was something that brought him to tears. It's one of the agonies that that I've seen pastors, youth leaders, Bible study group leaders face time and time again. Wanting the best for the people they lead. Wanting them to grow in Christ but seeing them choose and prioritise in a way that actually hindered their growth. And like for Paul, it weighs heavily on a leader's heart. But on the flip side of that, it can also bring great tears of joy, seeing people grow and making good decisions that help them live for Jesus. And it's right that Christian ministry involves this unshakable commitment to God and a deep love for his people. Well, the second key aspect of uh, Paul's pattern for ministry is that it's all based on the word of God. Between verses 20 and 27, there are six different words he uses to describe the mode of his ministry. Preach, teach, declare, testify, preaching, proclaim. And the content of his speech-based ministry is, verse 20, anything that would be helpful. Verse 24, the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, the kingdom of God. Verse 27, the whole will of God. And this all has one purpose. 
We see it in verse 21. He says, I've declared to both Jews, Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Right? Repentance and faith. They're the, they're the two key outcomes of a word of God based ministry. Repentance comes as people see the lordship of Jesus in their lives and choose to live with him as boss rather than self. And faith is trusting in Jesus as the saviour who died so that we could be forgiven. Right? It's having a future confidence that comes from what he has done, not from what we do. And Paul's true ministry, of, true model of ministry rather, is one where repentance and faith are always preached from God's word. Now, the third key part of uh, Paul's true ministry model involves the image of the watchman and the shepherd. Now, the idea of the watchman is that they, they call out to people when they see them in danger. And like the thing that brought Paul to tears earlier here, this is so often when the danger comes from people's own choices in their life. Though not infrequently in Christian ministry, people don't like being pointed out this. And so pastors, youth leaders, etc., they're often accused of overreach. I've heard someone say that, you know, that's just part of their personal life. Why are you worrying about that? Why are you getting involved? Well, Paul impresses this on them. Because if a watchman sees danger and doesn't call it out, then they're accountable to God for, this, for the person's spiritual well-being or lack thereof. And so for Paul... Under God, calling people to repent of sin is actually part of loving leadership. Now, after the watchman comes the image of the shepherd. And it's, it's uh, used because the shepherd, the shepherd realises that the flock is not his own, but the flock belongs to God. Right? The flock has been, verse 28, redeemed by the blood of Christ. But he also realises that the flock needs uh, guidance and careful protection. Because not only are there young sheep who needed to be, to be cared for, tended, nurtured, but verse 29, there are also savage wolves who really want to work their way into the flock unnoticed and tear them apart. God's provision for shepherds for his people shows that he is not a disinterested God, one who watches from afar, an onlooker. No, no. It shows that he's concerned for the state of his church. He's concerned for each one of his people. He's concerned that you are someone who's growing in Christ. And you might notice here that uh, Paul, he calls for the leaders to have watchfulness in three areas. Firstly, he says they need to watch over themselves and their own hearts because no person is above sin or temptation. Secondly, watching for attacks from outside the church because we live in a world that wants us to, to compromise and conform rather than stand up for Jesus. And thirdly, it's watching for attacks from inside the church, because that is where Satan would love to get in, would love to subvert from. Now, we live in a day where weighty issues are trivialized and trivial issues are exalted. But since souls are at stake, we can't allow the ministry of God's watchman shepherds to be trivialized or downplayed. Now, the final, the fourth aspect of this true ministry model Paul is passing on, it's about integrity. In verse 33 to 35, Paul talks about the way that he worked to support himself while there in ministry. 
And the point he's making isn't that church workers shouldn't be paid. No, uh, quite often he was financially backed by the churches. Uh, Then a bit later on, echoing the words of Jesus in Philippians 4, he says, the worker deserves his wages. Now, what Paul is wanting to impress on them is that leaders must be people of integrity and transparency. Right? His, his motivation is saying it's not financially driven like those of other people around the area. And Paul's call for them, it's no different actually than his call for all people who claim to follow Jesus. It's away from coveting, away from selfishness, and where possible to lean into generosity. Now these are all things that Paul wants to pass on to the Ephesian elders as their true model of ministry. And now... As a staff team here at our church, these are things that we need to keep reflecting on. Because under God, we are accountable for how each person here is going spiritually. Adam, Tinnaker, myself. And so, you also need to know that when we speak about different things with you, it comes from a deep place of love. It comes from a longing to see you continuing to grow in Christ. And now, for each person here who's who serves in an elder-type position, or a word ministry-type position, like parish council, like kids' ministry, like youth group, like Bible study leading, and there's other ways. These These are areas where you have a real accountability to God for the people that you lead. Anyone in these roles needs to take the shepherding responsibility seriously. And for everyone, Whether we have a a role of pastoral responsibility over others or not, the question then is, are you actively supporting those who God has placed over you, wherever that may be? Now, this is Paul's model of ministry that he leaves for them to imitate and that God has recorded for the benefit of us, of people down through the ages, so that it would benefit us, our churches and our ministries. This model of ministry has been kept for us and our leaders so that we would keep our eyes on Jesus, so that we would keep growing in Christ. Amen. Your word is good It's ever faithful Worth more than gold The heart's delight Your word gives life To all who hear and obey Your word endures forever Your word is true It never changes It formed the earth Sustains it still Your word defends Providing refuge and strength Your word endures forever Your word is a lamp unto my feet Your word is a light unto my path For your word Your word transforms
I'm Carl Fays. I'm really looking forward to being in Inverell on Monday the 14th of August for the Unearthed event and that's going to be at the Inverell Town Hall. We spent 12 months driving this iconic Australian ute around Australia unearthing stories of faith and at the Unearthed event we're going to bring some of those stories to you. They're in stories that will inspire you, inform you and challenge you. 
At the event, we're going to have country music star Colin Buchanan, Dave Jensen is going to tell his story, and I'll be speaking as well. The great news is, Unearthed is free, but you need to book your seat. So go to the QR code on your screen and book your seat, and make sure you set aside the time and your seat to join us at Inverell on Monday, the 14th of August. Well, as we come to a time of prayer, please do pause the video in a moment. There is so much to be praying for, so much to be giving thanks for as well. We have a great God who's blessed us in so many ways. Uh, we have a great God who calls us to partner with him uh, in his ministry in the world. And so be praying for outreach opportunities as well, uh, both for our Connect Bonfire and also for the Unearthed event. Uh, so please pray and then we'll go to a final time of praise after that.
To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God and Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.